Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Alan Newey. He's a safety motivational speaker with CNB Safe uh, in Australia. He's been, uh, unfortunately, a part of a workplace accident, lost his dominant arm in a conveyor accident. So, Alan, welcome to the show. Love to hear your story, uh, really, in terms of what happened in that role and some of the core themes around that, that you talk about uh, when you speak to different organizations. Yeah, thanks, Eric. And thanks for having me here. This is really important to me for people to hear the message because I don't want people to go through what I did, my, especially my better half. Kathy doesn't want the families to go through it all. And I'll get into that. But a little background on it. I'd actually been working for the company for 15 years. And I've done the, the role that I'm going to describe 4,586 times before my actual accident over 15 years. Um, the accident was September 30, 1999, and I can tell you exactly what time, 7.35. It doesn't matter what the press says, they said 7.40, it's 7.35, <laughs> I was there. You should <laughs> I know. should know that. <laughs> I should know. But um, no, I just left the home in the morning, you know, give the missus a kiss goodbye, rolled up to my work site. A little mate that I've been working with for 15 years, he started work at the same place mm -hmm. about two weeks before I did. And, he, and we're just joking around like normal. He was a little short guy, five foot six, and I'd make Snow White and Seven Dwarf jokes about him every single day. I was a heavier set guy, so he'd make fat jokes about me. And was, we had a great working relationship. And we got down to this place, this, the plant that I was working, which would load 112 trucks a day on average, about eight, 34 tons to a truck, eight minutes to a load, roughly okay. over 100 trucks a day. And he wasn't feeling it, yep. And he's only five foot six, my little mate, and I'm six two. And he wasn't feeling well. And it was his job this day to drive con um, cranes and operate the conveyors from up high. And I was supposed to be in the control room downstairs. Well, he wasn't feeling well, so we swapped roles and we'd done that before. We look after each other. I went up and started to adjust the conveyors and make my way up to the crane. And as the, um, one of the conveyors was always tracked out to the side due to moisture from a product called urea, it's a fertilizer. And we'd have to dry the, dust, dry the belt down and track it back into place. And the training I was showing, and he was showing, was to grab this little green bucket with some drying dust inside it and reach inside the moving conveyor, throw the dust on by hand, and then once it tracked back into place, started, start the uh, next section and go to the crane. When I was applying this drying dust, the um, belt didn't come back far enough, so I threw one extra handful of dust, which was normally an extra handful from the, uh, the normal amount, and I heard a bang, and I thought nothing of it. And I went up and looking up and down the conveyor looking for this uh, noise that was in the machine, and I went to scratch my head, but there was nothing there to scratch my head with. That noise was my arm going around the machine. And I felt nothing, no pain, nothing. Wow. Nothing at all. 
So you could say I said a few expletives. I climbed down the 30 foot ladder, ran out to the front. My little workmate with the shock horror in his eyes has come over and jumped onto the stump to try and stop the bleeding, which he couldn't because what we didn't know at the same time, I'd actually torn the chest on the inside at right angles. The test was pointed at right angles on the inside. And so now this is where my little mate owes me for beers and I'll get into later because of the way it affects people. He owes me a few beers for this because the he passed out, but he was hanging off there. He kept his strength on there, so he's still hanging on. So I've picked Goodness. him up with my good arm, and I've carried that little bugger the first day. <laughs> so then, then it all, all started from there. I played a, a high grade of tennis. Um, I was, I'd umpired Australian Open on the lines and all that beforehand. And the police officer who showed up to the accident, this is where it affects different people that people don't think about. The police officer who showed up to my accident was a mate of mine who I played in a tennis tournament three days before Goodness. and he just happened to be the police officer yeah. who was sent to my accident and when he's walked in the room he's gone into you know like a shock because he knew who it was and down the track a little bit he offered he challenges me for a rematch because i haven't got a double-handed backhand anymore so but he's not getting it i can tell you now <laughs> and then, then it all went from there you know five reattachments on my arm um, to try and save it, which they couldn't. Uh, in the hospital, they told my better half they only had two hours to live and she had to make plans after the fifth reattachment. Um, so she was telling, trying to get through telling my family, so I can't only imagine what she's going through. Um, they took me back into the surgery and they gave her an A4 piece of paper, would you believe? And she had to sign for this. We're going to take Alan back into surgery. Police sign here, and it was removal of limb permanently. Sign and date here to right. cover the backsides legally. Yeah, so they removed it. One of the doctors made a little clamp about that big, about a fifty cent coin type thing in Australia, um, and it was life saving. That little clamp they put inside the chest with the 300 staples and stitches already holding me together saved my life. Two hours later, I was watching television. And then everything really started. Really started with, you know, the rehabs and the, the things the wife goes through and everybody else. It just went on. For the, and it's still going on today, 20 odd years later. And it hasn't stopped. So, so tell me a little bit about some of the, the follow-on effects. You, you talk about... Uh, your, your significant other at the time, the, when you have an injury, the effect is yeah. significant on everybody. You talked about the, the police officer telling me about some of the, the following effects and because it's your injury and what happens to you, but there's also a significant effect to everybody that you care and you love. Yeah, so, and I think myself, the impact on the others mm -hmm. after my incident is actually greater than mine. It's for, even greater. Um, you'll find out who your friends are and who, and who can't deal with it and people you'll never see again. Um, my mother-in-law, uh, rest of her soul, I'm still alive, mind you, and she put on the black outfit like they do, the Greeks. I was meeting into a Greek family and she put on all the Greek outfit, all in black, and she's doing all the praying things and everything. My mother went quiet. My father, and, um, my father he worked for the same company for 47 years. And retired three years before my accident. 
Um, they, the culture was they never spoke about safety. Safety was never mentioned really? on that site. And yeah, never ever mentioned on that site. Um, it was always production ahead of safety. So we all kick our jobs and all that type of thing. Um, and the, and the, the profits up, I guess. But the, um, so he was kicking himself, but that's an even older culture than me, if you can understand that, because the culture had built up over 100 years like that. Um, a father-in-law, he reacted differently where he actually came up to the bedside with his worry beads, clicking them in my ear, driving me crazy. And he's still got that thick, um, you know, European accent, and he's gone to me, Ellen, you know that. If you die, this is not good for me. You sign contract. <laughs> Kathy, your problem. She must stay with you. <laughs> you know, things like this. You know? And that actually helped a lot, believe it or not. That actually helped a lot. Because you know? <laughs> if you die, that's not good for me. <laughs> this is my father-in-law. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the biggest flow-on effect was my little okay. workmate. He was with me that day, the accident. And that's the saddest one of all, and the one that can really, today would even, it gets me upset. And that's over 20 years ago. He passed away about eight years after my accident. Um, the stress he put himself under caused medical issues, a cancer formed in his stomach, and he's no longer with us. The doctors say, maybe uh, it wasn't that, I know differently, in my heart, I know differently the stress he put himself under because he never accepted the fact that I got hurt and he didn't. I was doing his job that day. But the, and I couldn't get into his head because mm -hmm. I'm 6'2", he's 5'6". I miss being pulled into that machine by two inches, less than two inches. And I would have been pulled into that machine and made mincemeat out of so if he did that job that day, was in that particular spot, he would have reached past that point and he would have been pulled completely into that machine. Wow. But, so this is bad, but would have been, it's the better of the two evils if you can understand that. Yeah, and, but he couldn't accept it. He couldn't accept that I got hurt and he didn't. And that was the biggest flow on effect of the, the whole incident. So, so you worked there for, for many years. Uh, safety was never talked about. It was about getting the job done, getting it faster, improving profits. You had a voice inside of you. Mm. Tell me a little bit about and yes. what that was. When I first started there in September of 90, well, wait a minute, October 1999, September of 99. Sorry, 84, 15 years before my accident, 1984. I was showing that plant where I had my accident. And this little voice inside me said, and when I showed me how to do the drawing of the conveyors and all that type of thing, because I had all the front end loader, crane, cr operation licenses, no problem. But the training was five minutes of this is how we do the job, this is how we dry the plant, in the story, five minutes. Five minutes, that's all it took. And if somebody came onto that plant, that's not what I'd show you and I'd be putting in danger. Sure. Because that's all I knew. And the voice inside me said, you don't do this. This is dangerous. And they did tell me it was dangerous and to be careful. That's not very helpful. To be so careful. everybody knew. <laughs> right. 
Right. No, no. Everything, everything you do, no, no. So, but after, and there's no guarding on this conveyor or anything like that. And it could have been, the accident could have been prevented for less than $800, but they spent a quarter of a million dollars in reacting to it. That's the sad part about it. The money was there. Um, yeah, but the, the voice was, you don't do this job. This is too dangerous. You don't do it this way. Speak up. But you wanted to keep your job because you got your mortgage, you got your bills, you got everything else. So you didn't speak up. And as time went on, the voice got less and less because you became more confident in the area and it became second nature. So all of that sudden, you stopped listening to that voice and you, and you yourself put yourself in danger with your complacency and just pushing forward. You didn't listen to that voice anymore. You become part of the environment and you didn't see the whole picture. So, so that is a really important theme because um, it's really, we, we start getting complacent when we start doing it too often. You talked about how you did it 4,000 sometimes and nothing had gone wrong. I'm presuming yeah. those 4,000 sometimes. Your voice starts mm. going slower and less and less, less and you start accepting. What are some of the signs that people should be looking for to say, am I getting complacent with this and, and really reflect in terms of how do I, how do I relook at the hazard in front of me? One of, the big, one of the big signs I reckon in that is when I started, and I said it to myself many, many times, I'm used to this job. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I can't, I'm, I'm bulletproof. I know what I'm doing, don't tell me what to do if somebody actually came past, mm -hmm. but nobody ever did that anyway. If you stop listening, if you start hearing, or you stop hearing that voice, that's time to take a take five and get a fresh set of eyes in to look at where you're working yeah. and you can go do the same Absolutely. for their spot. Okay, swap, swap for that thing. Yeah, that's the telltale sign. But the idea is once you stop once you become complacent and you hear and you don't get anybody in and you just keep going, it's, mm. it's hard. It really is hard. But what I should have done is step back. Once I, I did realize it, that I was getting easier sure. and the job was getting easier. If you start saying to yourself, I've been doing this job a long time. I know what I'm doing. And then you start repeating it to other people. That's the sign you should be stepping back. You're complacent with what you're doing. That's, a, 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 that's the big red flag. If you start saying to people, I know what I'm doing, I've done this job a million times, that's the big red flag. You're actually heading, putting yourself in danger and heading towards a major incident without knowing it. I think that's a really important point. L listen to that voice, look for the signs that I'm getting comfortable with it. And, and I, I too comfortable with it, too comfortable and, and then kind of pull yourself. I think one of, one of the things I was recently looking at is in aviation, they'll go so far in many cases to make sure you're not flying with the same crew. You're not doing the same route all the time. So you're not flying Sydney to LA or, or New York to, 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 yeah. to London every time that we switch it up a little bit. So you have less chance of it becomes routine. Uh, in many cases, not, not airlines, but really yeah. trying to drive that switching of roles to same as takeoff and landing. There's an alternating 
who, who, who's responsible? Is it the captain or the first officer that's going to be responsible for it? No, that's right. That happened. Yeah, that scenario sort of happened after my incident. You know, people started doing different roles and being changed around into different places. But the culture of where I was was that person, like Alan knows that crane back to front. He knows that conveyor system back to front. We keep him there because we know we don't have to watch him. He knows the job. And then the person in the maintenance hall that does something has been doing it. And there was one guy who had an accident that I was working with, and he'd been in the maintenance hall for 37 years, doing exactly the right. same role every day. And he sets in, you get complacent, right? You get complacent, yeah. And he had a major accident at our same site and went home nine months later. So you, you talked about the other accident. Um, what, what was interesting is there were no reports from what, when we first talked, there were no reports, no recordables for, I think you said 463 days. Is that correct? Mm. Yeah, that's correct. We went 463 days of no lost time injuries and no recordables because nobody reported right. them. Right. Nobody reported them. Okay. That after that 460 day bracket, and that was... Sure a big red flag in itself, we're heading towards an incident without going. We had four majors in 18 months. Four majors in 18 months. Um, and the it went from, like, I think the average is 860,000 reportables a day. Mm -hmm. That's 10 every second. Yeah, that somebody actually does say something, which is not common. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of items that aren't done yet. So, you know, you, you've, you're getting over, what is it, uh, 15,000 unreported incidences per minute. And they're the ones leading to the major actions. There's sure. 5,000 per minute that are recorded. Well, right. they're doing something about it. They're recording them. If you're not recording them, you're in that 15,000 bracket, which is where I was and my whole work crew was. It led to major accidents. It's, it's the amount of people getting hurt just because they're not reporting. A very, very simple bracket communication in it if they reported things they could do things about it but if you don't you can't nobody knows but also a lot of leaders start reflecting i've had 463 days we must be doing something right here things are things are safe they see it as a leading indicator i fixed the problem but obviously it wasn't this episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, de develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. No, no, because um, what it was with um, where I was working, they had the 463 days and they had all this, uh, after we passed one year, there's this big, you know, celebration. I can tell you now, you know, every, they put on drinks and a barbecue type thing for everybody yep. and that type of stuff. And it was down to the fact that even when somebody came, did come to inspect the place, they knew they were coming, so the place was cleaned down to make it look good right. before they inspect it. And so they always pass the test, but nobody ever picked up no guards. And I asked for a guard for that belt, and I was told it was too really? expensive. And the guard would have cost less than $800. Yeah. 
So, and they, and they went a quarter of a million dollars worth of guards after the accident right. in reaction. And if you could have seen the guard they put onto it, that actually caused my workmates um, risk than um, mm. putting them at risk with the guard they put on there. It was so big and so massive. You couldn't move it. The safety system to protect them was on the inside of the guard and they couldn't reach it. Right. What solution is that? Because everybody got scared with my accident, I think being the fourth one in the list. And every, when they got scared, that's when everybody was running and ducking for cover, that type of thing. They were getting wrong, wrong, wrong legal advice. And that's where all the legal people come in and then really make the waters you know, muddy and murky because everybody's trying to think, what do I do now to cover my backside? And that's, that's where it got me. They got through it all, but it was years. It wasn't you know, just done overnight. Um, the plant closed down five years later after, after the, so it was, uh, about 2012, I think, it closed down. Something like 2012, 2013, yeah. And, and why? Because it was unsafe. Oh, it was shut down for being unsafe. Yes, not because it was um, profitable, not profitable. They were making millions and millions of dollars every week. It, it became, they had to do all these improvements for safety and it was, they reckon it was better for them just to move the plant to another site and rebuild, rebuild the whole structure. So where safety was, they were told production would keep their jobs. Yeah. It didn't, it's not true. Safety would have caught their job, kept their jobs. But too often people don't look at it that way. And everybody would have gone home in one piece. Yeah, everybody would have gone home in one piece. So when you speak to, to audiences around your experience and some of your learnings, one of the themes I know you talk about is around regret. Tell me a little bit more about how you unpack that theme and, yeah. and the stories there. The regret I have personally is one thing I didn't listen to my wife when she drove past that plant one day and she'd never been on site, never looked inside the four walls. And she came home and told me, leave the company, there's going to be an accident there. She just had this feeling. Really? She just had this feeling. Yeah. And me being the male and everything else and pig-headed about it, because I actually did love where I, what I was doing. Uh, I turned around and said, I've been here almost 15, or 15 years. I know what I'm doing. Mm. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Four weeks later or six weeks later, I had the accident. Wow. So I've regretted not listening to her, putting her through all the stuff that she went through, all the hell she must have had gone through, and she kept a lot of things to herself during that process to try and protect me, and I did the same thing, and then almost causes a family element breakdown type thing. I walked past thousands of times on that plan, not just that, you know, thousands of times, and I saw things, and I had close shaves and all that, and I did the same thing, not reporting them. Same with my little workmate. Bosses walked past the whole thing. Nobody ever spoke up. And everybody knew it was dangerous. Everybody knew it was dangerous. And when the accident happened, the big word that came out of everybody, why didn't I do something about it? Why didn't I speak up? I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. Right. And now they all live with it. And I see some of them, you know, 20 years down the track and run into them because we all live in the same areas. 
Yeah. And they say the same thing to me. Why didn't we speak up? We had four people seriously hurt at sight because we didn't do anything about it. And we all lost our jobs anyway. So what was the point? We, if we spoke up for our workmates, we'd all have our jobs. We'd all be playing tricks on each other and having the fun that we were having and going home to our families. But speaking up is not that straightforward. It takes a climate and environment where people create an environment, the leaders create an environment where, where you're comfortable speaking up. Um, everybody, yes, does have the responsibility to speak mm. up when they see something that's unsafe. But also I'd say there's a leadership responsibility to say, am I creating this at all my sites, all my locations? Are people comfortable speaking up? Am I seeing near misses being reported? Am I seeing people talking about concerns and all those being addressed? They weren't. Um, people, as they just walk past, they live with the regret of not acting up and they just keep wishing they did act up and speak up about it. Because when I actually got around to the plant after my accident and spoke up, other people started to speak. They started to talk to each other. They started to communicate with each other, realized that they all wanted the same thing. Yep. And that's for people to go home and you know, enjoy life. And if they were on that wavelength, of even just a, hey, Eric, you see that? That's, if we can fix that, we're going to possibly save, save an incident from happening. Mm-hmm. And it all moved on from that. Because the thing is, what they all realized too late is we'll never realize the accidents we prevent, but we sure as we'll know the ones we don't. Right, absolutely, well said. But I, I think your message as well around focus on the bottom line won't get you there because the costs of serious injuries are expensive. Yes, yeah. And not just the, the, the legal costs, not just the, the, the insurance costs, but the, the toll on everybody else that's involved. You can't replace a human being. You can't replace what your wife, what your, if, uh, you know, your significant other goes through, your family and all that. But to give you an idea, just an idea, the accident was preventable for less than $800. There was an airline, there was an airline in this shed that I worked which could have been produced for under $100 and would have prevented the accident. Now that I'm missing the, the, the right arm, and to make it blunt, it's that little bolt that's sticking out at the end is $14,000, okay? This is 50 cents from a, a hardware store, which stops me from ripping the shirts right. and t-shirts. If I don't put it on, I'll rip the shirt, right, with a bolt. But I've been through four limbs so far. And I'll just show you this. Okay. Yep. This is a robotic limb, and it's mm-hmm. controlled by brainwaves. So I can open and close it with my hand and operate and have a drink. I can even write a sentence with it, but it doesn't replace the real thing. Yeah, it's a it's just a, it's just an aid, but it's a quarter of a million dollars Australian in aid. So it's probably about one hundred and seventy thousand US. I don't want it. I'd rather, I'd love to throw it out the window. Yeah, no doubt. But it's something I have to use because it straightens my spine up and stops future medical issues. Right. It keeps you in shape. Because I've no longer had the, uh, the weight there, sure. so the spine starts to move. Ah. So then you get back pain. Then, then it causes other issues down the track. All these following effects. And it's just, yeah, and so you're always living with, 
going to the, the doctors, um, putting in a request for something else because of the incident. So, and then you've got to jump through all the medical boards and all the hurdles and all that other stuff. Right. Um, one thing that I'd love to talk, just mentioned to you that it was a flow on effect to my wife. She got a letter, you know, just in a little letter sent to her in the mail. And she could have got this day one. And it was to look after her because all the people were looking after me. Right. Remember, when I'm in hospital, everybody's looking after me. They, she just sits there. Sure. But she could have got somebody to talk to or counselling or something to help her. Mm-hmm. She received a letter stating that fact. There's people there to help her. But she got the letter 10 years after the accident. 10 years? 10 years later. Unbelievable. And one thing that's... Now, I hope the listeners believe me on this because if I had a right arm, I'd I'd swear on the Bible and (laughs) all that thing there. But I got... My doctor got a letter about me. And I was getting interviewed every three months for three years. So there's three years of my life lost. Right. Being interviewed every three months by investigators, and you couldn't forget the accident if you wanted to. My doctor was getting the same twenty-two questions, but had to answer from a medical perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this time he got twenty-three questions. Now, if I was to ask you what the twenty-third question was, because it upset Kathy so much, she wanted to go down in the head office and you know go postal with everybody, doing <laughs> go nuts, and I had to laugh it off. What do you reckon the question would have been? No idea. Okay. What was the likelihood of Mr. Newey's condition to improve and the prognosis towards the limb growing back? Gotta be kidding. (laughs) I'm not. Somebody in one of their offices actually asked would the arm grow back? Okay. Unbelievable. So that's, that's why I had to laugh at right. <laughs> But Katie was not impressed. I'm sure she wasn't. So I, I, I think that the message here is it's, it's more than financial, like as you said, but I think organizations also need to look at it in terms of <clears throat> how do I drive safety? If I drive safety, I'm also driving, like you said, the plant would have probably still been operating. Um, all these following effects, it's, it looks like a cost-benefit analysis, but it's so much more. Uh, there's the effect on the it's, people. It's so much more. And, and also a good business is a business that's safe, and a good business that's safe is also going to be a productive and a, and a, and a successful business. It is, because part of the flow-on effect of the closing the plant was 54 of us lose their jobs, mm-hmm. permanents, 112 part-times and casuals lose their jobs. The little shops where you buy your meals yes. next door, all gone. Right. Because we're gone. Right. So the flow-on effect from a, an incident like mine was not to affecting just me, my family, workmates, mm-hmm. you know, friends, all that type of thing, but the little people that you've built up relationships in the little shops around you for 15 years, right. and you never see them again. It was like a, a little village, if you wanted to say, and it's, it's all gone. It's horrible. All because safety wasn't taken seriously. So, so Alan, really appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, I think it's an important message for a lot of organizations. You speak a lot about safety, motivate organizations and, and team members around safety. If somebody would like to 
share your story, bring your story? How can they get in touch with you? Is it through CNB Safe? Yeah, through CNB Safe. Um, I'm sure it's that. And, you know, James Woods runs it and he's a very good friend of mine. And we met from, we lived an hour apart. We are both involved in major accidents. Now we compare who's got the worst one. (laughs) 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 The poor guy's in a wheelchair and I go, I can push you in circles. And he goes, well, I can swim straight. You can't. I can tie my shoelaces up. You can't, you know. So that's the flow and effect, you know. Tying up shoelaces, one-handed. Put on your pants. And to everybody, I'd say this. Go home, drop your pants. I mean that in a nice way. Drop your pants, grab an apple, and put it in your dominant hand. Mm -hmm. Then try and put your pants on with your other hand. Right. And that'll give you an idea of straight away what it's like with one arm. Wow. It's just a simple test. But yeah, it's... um, yeah, through CNB Safe, I go anywhere. I, and I'm one of the few people that can tell the CEO of a company, and I've done it to some major companies. If they don't uh, pick up their ass and they game, you're going to jail. And I've said it in front of the workers and everything, and they, you know what I just said to <laughs> And they all panic, right? No, that's not it. I'm not here for that. I'm here to make sure he does his job, you do your job, and you all go home safely. Ultimately, everybody has to come home safe. That's right. And everybody's going to work together. That's it. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you sharing your story. And uh, have a wonderful rest of your day or morning for you. (laughs) Thank you very much, Eric. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the ops guru, Eric McCroskey.